0: Our gospel reading this week is a quintessential Jesus story. We have a crippled woman, a miraculous healing, scorned Pharisees, and a gathered crowd. What more could I ask for as a preacher? Here's the scene. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was custom. He sees a woman who is described as bent over unable to stand up straight, this way for 18 years. The interaction between them, as recorded by our scribe Luke, is brief. You'll note that Jesus doesn't ask the woman what's wrong or what she needs from him, as he does in other instances in the gospel. He touches her, and his touch is immediately and irrevocably healing. The leader of the synagogue hears the commotion and passionately reminds Jesus of the rules. You have to sympathize with him a little. Of all the days, Jesus picks the one day he's not supposed to. The woman's been like this for 18 years, would one more day really be that bad? You have to suspect that this was an intentional choice on Jesus's part. He was trying to prove a point by healing on the Sabbath. He was trying to demonstrate that some rules are meant to be broken when they don't put the people they serve's best interest and well-being first. Jesus uses the Pharisees' anger as a teaching moment, highlighting the arbitrariness with which they define work. What's the difference between untying your donkey and healing, he asked. I appreciate Luke's flair for the dramatic when he notes that with this question, the Pharisees were put to shame and the crowd went wild. This is what I mean by a quintessential Jesus story. This passage has the potential to lend itself towards a few unfavorable conclusions, particularly towards the unnamed woman who is caught in the larger conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees as well as towards ableist conclusions about what healing and wholeness entail. And finally, it presents the always unflattering portrait of Jewish leaders as unflinching legalists. I hope to speak to all of these faulty conclusions as a woman who works with the chronically ill and disabled and whose spiritual growth can at least in part be attributed to my own positive experiences with Jewish religious leaders. First, the interaction, the woman's interaction with Jesus. It's curious, though not surprising that she's unnamed. In this passage, her identity is her disability. Her arthritic back, as some versions refer to it as, has plagued her for 18 years. I can imagine her crouched over, only able to see her feet and maybe the feet of others shuffling past unable to look up and see people to meet the eyes of others. The absence of her personhood is striking, though her significance is clear, which I'll come back to a bit later. Her healing is like some other, though not all other healings recorded in the book of Luke. There are two components to her miracle. An oral command, And a healing touch the command woman you are set free from your ailment demonstrates jesus's divinity he speaks and his words bind her wounds the second component of jesus's miracle is his touch if i'm honest i'm not sure which component the command or the touch is more significant but i'd venture to guess they are mutually reinforcing In other miracles Jesus performed, he sometimes orally commanded miracles and he sometimes healed through touch. And sometimes, like in this instance, both. I like to think Jesus's command restores the woman physically and his touch restores her socially. Two different dimensions of healing. Jesus's touch welcomes the woman back into community. Her gaze, now raised, can meet the gaze of others. Jesus's healing serves multiple purposes here. He simultaneously offers liberation to a disabled woman, challenges existing law that prohibits the touching of what or whom is unclean, and demonstrates his divinity. The healing Jesus offers the woman is multi-dimensional. It's personal, communal, and spiritual as we see the woman immediately praise God upon standing up. I can't help but interpret this passage in light of my past year working as a chaplain fellow in the rehabilitation and recovery of veterans with diagnoses of serious mental illness. In other words, I help my patients, veterans, lean on, rediscover, or perhaps discover for the first time their spirituality and religion as a source of healing, a repository of wisdom, and a container of hope. The veterans I work with have faced challenges which seriously inhibit their ability to thrive in daily life and relationships. Many of them have lived with their illnesses for as long as the woman in our passage, many for much longer. Their challenges are chronic. They, like us all, seek healing and wholeness. But how do we define wholeness? Especially in light of chronic illnesses, those without a cure, like the woman in this passage, and the seeming lack of miracles in this day and age, at least in the strict sense of the term. Even for those of us who don't suffer from chronic illness, the inevitability of death looms large over all of our lives. For the patients I work with, and for all of us, sometimes a more hopeful treatment goal is living a full, meaningful life, not in spite of, but because of our limitations, our illnesses, our diagnoses. In many cases, no evidence of disease is a goal that is of course desired, prayed for, and yet an unlikely outcome in some cases. In the healing business, I say business because it unfortunately is, I see spirituality and religion often marketed in a way that distorts their fullness, that cheapens them, that commodifies them. Catherine Green McWright, who many of you know, discusses this at more length in her book, Darkness is My Only Companion. I have become allergic to the conception of God as a self-help guru, because it reduces God to a pill that can be swallowed, a vitamin that can boost immunity. It objectifies God and transactionalizes the ineffable. And I can't help but trace this phenomenon's origins back to interpretations of passages like this one today, which grossly distort this passage's fullness, its place in the coming of the kingdom. One of my favorite lines from a family member in a different hospital I worked at was from a son whose father was in the intensive care unit, likely with COVID if I remember correctly. The priest had already anointed his father, offered last rites, and I was communicating that to him. The son asked me, can my father have a second anointing? I want to give him an extra boost as if an anointing was akin to a vaccine which might grant his father immunity against death. In some ways it is, depending on your theology, but it's so, so much more. I use this example not to criticize the son's theology, but because I see myself in it, longing for a quick fix to my own vulnerabilities, my own illnesses. I can't help but wonder if God as self-help guru is an offspring of the prosperity gospel, an ideology that suggests following Jesus will make you shiny, perfect, healthy and wealthy. We all know from our experiences this is unfortunately not the case. I worry too that interpretations of this passage have perpetuated stigma. If you seek Jesus enough, if you pray hard enough, you don't need medication. Let me tell you from firsthand experience as a healthcare chaplain and an avid prayer, this is not true. I wish it was because it would make my job a lot easier, if not non-existent. Prayer and medication serve different purposes in the process of healing, both extremely important purposes. Without boring you all on the research, um, the impact of religious belief and spiritual practice on health outcomes, which is mixed, I might add, I'll say this. Spirituality, religion, Jesus, all do offer a path towards healing and wholeness, but they can also be the source of our struggle, a thorn in our flesh, that which brings us to and through hell. The relationship between us and our faith is characterized by love not utility not what it brings us though that is surely a desired byproduct so what does all this have to do with the woman who is healed by jesus on the sabbath she is touched by the son of god liberated from her oppression offered a significant role in the coming of a new heaven and earth, which invites her, invites all of us back into community. Her miraculous healing seems like that quick fix we're all praying for, but it's not that. It's a chance to be involved in the demonstration of Jesus's divinity in his ushering in of heaven. The circumstances and context are different than the circumstances and context which we find ourselves in today. We live after Jesus's ministry, after the establishment of the church, and thus healing and wholeness look different. The many stories of Jesus throughout the New Testament each reveal the various yet harmonious aspects of Jesus's identity. Today, we get to see Jesus the healer, Jesus the son of God, and Jesus the rule breaker, as he uses his anger to reshape the spiritual and social order. I want to invite us as a congregation to consider the different dimensions of healing Jesus enacts personal, communal, and spiritual, and how we might work to bring about those about in and beyond St. John's right now. How might we use our own anger to reshape the spiritual and social order? Further, how can we be a community characterized by relationships of love as opposed to utility? May all of us continue to seek healing and wholeness in and through Jesus Christ. May we marvel together at the mysterious ways God enacts healing. And may we yield ourselves to the touch and the words of Christ which bind our wounds, liberate our souls, and restore us back into the loving gaze of community. Amen.